Hello. You're listening to 9394, a music podcast with me, Travis Roy. What's up? How's it going? My buddy Dave Horning is back on the show. He was on not that long ago talking about Tool, and he's back to talk about another kind of another kind of weirdo band in their own way. Primus is a band that for me and Dave both kind of served as one of those roots of the tree of our early listening experiences, if that kind of makes sense. Very foundational, I mean. So it was really cool to be able to sit down and talk about the album Pork Soda with him. Thanks for joining us. Grab yourself a can of pork soda, you'll be feeling just fine. Ain't nothing quite like sitting around the house, swimming down them Kansas wine. You got me? <laughs> I got you. I don't have you, weird. Uh, hang on, let me see. Okay, there we go. All right, now try saying something. 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 All something. Right. S-U-M-P-I-N. How you doing, buddy? Good, how are you doing? Good, are you, uh, are you awake? Is this the worst possible timing for you? Is this work for you? Oh, no, it's actually pretty good. I woke up at, uh... Stupid o'clock in the morning in Tulsa, Oklahoma yesterday, so uh, my schedule has been shifting. I think waking up at stupid o'clock is my default these days. I just wake up, but like on the weekends, I'm like, oh, it's six in the morning, I guess. I'm awake now. Whee. Yeah, I have the weirdest sleep schedules these days. I can be like up until two in the morning working, or I could have to wake up at two in the morning working. It's just, it's great for the body. Yeah. So, this is your second time on the show. We've already discussed how you and I know one another. So, I'm trying to think of different questions to ask people instead of how do we know each other. And the question I have for you is, uh, what t-shirts have I screen printed for you that you're currently wearing? (laughs) Awesome Robotech shirt from high school. (laughs) I didn't even realize it until you panned down as we were talking. But yes, that's the Robotech shirt that I screen printed in I guess screen printing class in high school. I have, I have that same Veritech tattooed on my back. Nice. Yeah, it's enormous. <laughs> Is it a VF1A or a VF1J? It's the VF1J, naturally. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like how many cannons they had on their head that you could differentiate, was it? I think, I yeah, that's or just say one and be confident. <laughs> <laughs> nerd stuff yeah well you you and i are well steeped in our nerd stuff you me and toby mcguire holding down the robotech love and your brother we were definitely watching a lot of robotech in 93 and 94 and playing the role-playing game sometimes i dream with open eyes i dream of falling in love to be in love must be the sweetest (laughs) feeling yeah (laughs) So you and I both grew up right down the street from one another, as we discussed last time you were on, and we both grew up listening to Primus. How do you remember getting into this album? So very bizarrely enough, my mother introduced me to Primus. Oh. Yeah. My little sister was in competitive dance all growing up. The whole family was Mm -hmm. lugged around all these like full weekend events, and I would go and explore the backs of hotels and whatever. Anyway, she was really good yeah. at it. She uh, would win 
trips to go to LA and like go and have her tuition paid, I think to these like dance schools for a couple of weeks in the summer or whatever. Okay. So my mom would naturally chaperone her out there. And Mm -hmm. after one of those, I think they were at some, my mom just says it was like some big famous yellow record store in LA. I'm not sure what that is, but she went in there and said, you know, my son's in high school. I think this was just before my sophomore year that this came out and it was maybe the spring of my freshman year. So it would have been that Mm -hmm. summer. And my mom goes in and talks to some guy that she described as being like the school rocker looking dude and said like, what album should I get my son? You know, just as a gift. Yeah. So she bought this album, Pork Soda, and brought it back to me really? from LA. And yes, my mom gave me this album, and this was my introduction to Primus. Way to go, Kathy. Yeah. That's funny to me because as we discussed on that previous episode, I know you through my brother, of course, as well. He was always close friends with you, and Judd was a big influence on me musically, and I imagine you musically. And Judd was a big fan of Primus before this album came out. He had me listening to Seize the Cheese and Frizzle Fry. I was totally ready for you to be like, oh, Judd got me into Primus, but I guess that just kind of missed you somehow from him. That's funny. Judd got me into like, they might be giants and, uh, you know, I can remember Paw and Bad Religion and like all those, but yeah, somehow Primus was skipped. It wasn't ever on any mixtape that he gave me or anything. (laughs) That's the trick. Like you mentioned, they might be giants. They might be giants, Primus, goofy shit like that was some of the earliest stuff that I really was really into as a kid. Again, mostly because Judd got me into it. So yeah, I remember this coming out and being like, oh, Primus has a new album. And it's probably it's probably like the first time a band released a new album that was like, oh, I know these guys. And then it took off and did pretty well with the My Name is Mud single, particularly, I think. Didn't hurt that it was on Beavis and Butthead. That looks like that dude from Deliverance. Yeah. <laughs> remember that part with that pig? <laughs> that wasn't a pig, Beavis. That was Ned Beatty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Head was a big launching pad for a lot of bands, huh? It really was much more than you would think. So I don't know about you, but I had a kind of a hard time choosing what I think is the best song in this album. Did you have a easy time picking that out? No, because there's like a string of three in a row that I just think is like one of the strongest parts of the album. DMV through Nature Boy. Mm-hmm. That three track run is a really strong three track run. I love all of the songs. Mm-hmm. I guess my most revered would probably be the old Dimebag Sturgeon. part three of the fisherman chronicles or whatever i just absolutely love (laughs) it you know this is another band that you can throw into that kind of prog e category you know it does that whole like movements and stuff and i I love how you know you can like envision the story he's telling through the way he's playing the bass and Mm -hmm. larry's guitar playing it complements it perfectly it's just the story is told through the music as well as the word song about catching a fish I think that's really well put. He is obviously like the world's probably most 
recognizable, famous, most talented bass player if I had to pick up one person. And while he certainly has his own style, he will adapt that style for each song. On the old Dimebag Sturgeon in particular, the bass becomes a sitar. He's playing it like a fucking sitar. It's amazing. That outro especially is really incredible. I, I considered making that my choice for best as well. I decided to make it my underrated choice because it's not one that I always grew up loving the most, but listening to it in the last few weeks, I've been like, yeah, this is the main jam on the album probably. But for me growing up, the one that I always went to the most was DMV. Yeah, DMV is absolutely just the energy. It's a tough choice between all three of those. Yeah. Like I said, but DMV is absolutely up there too. are just completely unabashedly absurd <laughs> something about fucking a chimpanzee <laughs> he says something about like barbecues tea kettles gobs of axle grease like something something he references seas of cheese in it too it's okay i didn't realize so much as a kid that this is a prog rock album you know that they're like a prog rock band but listening to that song in particular, it is the most mathematically weird song on the album. But it's also, I think, maybe the most catchy and the most accessible in a weird way to be both at the same time, I think is really impressive. Don't they do like an 11 something time signature on that song? I'm, they do some absurd time signatures on some of these songs. Yeah, I'm not talented enough or educated enough to like know the difference necessarily between that stuff. I just know that I can't tap my foot in the normal way to it and be like, okay, this is all over the place. But I, I do think, because when I got into like the early 2000s, I was really into a lot of math rock and prog rock, not prog rock as you'd think, but like more like, yeah, like math rock, like maps and atlases and, you know, kind of weird time signature stuff, like heavier stuff though. And I think that I didn't really recognize how much Primus, well, for lack of a better word, primed me for that. Here's the whole lyrics. Barbecues, tea kettles, gobs of axle grease. There comes a time for every man to sail the seas of cheese. Now life's a bowl of bagel dogs, but there are unpleasantries. Cold toilet seats, dentist chairs, and trips to DMV call it pointless. He likes food. <laughs> he likes food references quite a yeah, bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They always wiggle their way into his songs. Food and weed. Uh, what, is there weed references in this album that I just completely missed somehow? Several. Uh, like what? I missed it. 
in this very song. When I need relief, I spell it THC. <laughs> okay, that blurred by me. But he does have a very, um, it sounds like, I don't know, Jeff Foxworthy with Lockjaw is his like, delivery style as a vocalist. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I read somewhere once that like his dad said, you'll never make it in music and as a front man, you can't sing for shit. <laughs> and that's some of the best front men ever, like people were told that, you know, or some of the most famous. I mean, Bono or Bono, however you say his name. I, I did an episode on YouTube recently and realized I don't know how to pronounce that motherfucker's <laughs> name. But yeah, that's funny that his dad would say that. He certainly proved him wrong by being, I mean, this is one of the stronger ongoing three pieces of the past few decades, it seems to me. Sure, it's not classically good, but like, man, his yowlings, mm-hmm. where he just says that, like, it sounds so, so like, Bob. Yeah, it's Bob. Yeah, it's so like grating and ear piercingly, like just there, but like it fits perfectly into the song, you know? Like, yeah. it's the best of the weird way to get it done. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because lyrically about Bob and Mud, he's got two songs this album about either killing a friend of his or a friend of his committing suicide, and they're presented in these pretty goofy kind of songs where you don't necessarily realize right off the bat that that's what he's singing about. Bat pun not intended for My Name is Mud. Yeah, I don't know. There's some darker songs in it, but uh, it's generally just got this like happy feel to it too. So maybe that's just where he was in his life. You know, like these things happen, deal with it, you know. Maybe that's part of the appeal for a lot of people. I mean, I know that's probably part of the appeal to me is that I like things that are dark and I like things that are goofy. And Primus certainly walks that line. Were you able to pick a song that you think is underrated? Welcome to this world is super underrated. to me when i was listening to it like you know that's one of the first tracks on the album besides my name is mud Mm -hmm. my name is mud might have leaked in before i actually got the album in my hands you know i probably had heard it on the radio Mm -hmm. because it's probably already getting radio play by that summertime probably had heard it on 89x Yeah, I don't know, just that welcome to this world, also more of the yowling and that just heavy driving bass. It like painted this mental picture in my head of like predicting the turn of the century music. So I'm just picturing in my head this like gritty, dark, like LA or New York, like some megalopolis club, you know, and just everybody's like clad in black leather. You know, it's just, that's the <laughs> band that's playing and that's the song the band is playing, you know, like when you're going into this like scene in this, dawning of the new century movie you know yeah i love it it's just yeah i don't know paints a good picture to me it's cantina music a little bit yeah yeah right? yeah in a way again like to uh go back to how he uses the bass and to steal your point that how he uses the bass to tell a tale this is a good example of that too i mean you can hear like the spaceship 
sound. It's like this weird alien thing happening throughout it, but you can't really put your finger, at least I can't put my finger on what it is, the effect is to make it feel so otherworldly. Larry Lalonde's guitar in there is just so beautifully complimentary. I don't know, he's just doing that like long note bending over the top of this playing and again this Mm -hmm. is another one of those songs that has like a couple of different like movements in it you know like a mini symphonic arrangement down into one little song it gives you those different feelings as you go through and i don't know it's i love them no that's a good point i think that larry lur (laughs) lur he's way sparse he's very yeah complimentary is a good word for a three-piece you'd think that a guitarist might feel compelled to fill the space and all that, but he's clearly aware that the bass is the star of the show here, and he just does what's necessary to kind of support the music as opposed to trying... He's not trying to be showy or get all the attention or anything. He can It's like an amazing solo, too. I forget which song right. the uh, there was a solo that I was listening to him on this album. Uh, I think it was the backside. I didn't get a chance to like give it a good, solid listen last night. Life got mm-hmm. in the way, but I remembered like in preparation when we had talked about this a while ago I, I listened to it a couple of times more through and like i forget which song it is but he's got this solo that really made me like perk up and take note like man that was a, an amazing solo that's my point he's got the skill to right, do it right. but he, he's got the restraint to not and you know what do they say music is as much the uh, quiet spaces as the loud spaces right yeah but it's not everyone i think takes that into consideration but that's a good point so what about the least favorite? Could you pick a least favorite on here? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, you were talking with Madison about like rap skits. They've got like song skits in here, too. You know, like uh, just. Yeah, a lot. Intro and the extra, the uh, pork chops, little ditty. I think that kind of falls a little flat for me. But, you know, it's again, the album was built to like be kind of proggy. So, you know, they're bringing you in, bringing you out with like a, a buildup and a letdown. I don't know, even those though, like a Wounded Knee is a solely percussion arrangement, but it's amazing. And it's fascinating. Yeah, it's awesome. Tool would do this many years later with their most recent release. You know, they did that chocolate chip drip where they let Danny Carey just go nuts on the percussion. So this mm-hmm. was Tim Herb Alexander. His name is not Herb Alexander because of weed. It's Herb Alexander because he used to carry around like herbal remedies and like a pouch oh, and stuff. Yeah, that's funny. AKA the ginseng drummer as well. <laughs> okay. Anyways, yeah, that arrangement's really good too. It is fascinating. It sounds like maybe they're all playing something percussive. I don't know that for certain, but it sounds like it's more than just him, right? It sounds like maybe they all picked up an instrument. There's a lot going on. I couldn't find any information in it, but yeah, I think he's playing like a marimba and stuff. Yeah, there's definitely like a steel drum in there, I think. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a lot of fun. I guess maybe I've got to solidly say like one of the actual songs, though. I guess maybe the air is getting slippery just a, a little bit, just kind of like... Eh, for me, like a little kitschy. Hey. 
little bit kitschy, a little bit too much weird, a little bit like, you know, not what I want compared to the rest of the album. It feels a little novelty and like it's kind of like cutesy with playing around with the F word and stuff. Yeah. I can see yeah. that. Yeah, I was going to say Hail Satan, but like, again, that's kind of like a, it's not exactly like a Hail Santa. Excuse me. I was going to say Hail Santa, <laughs> not Hail Satan, um, but that's not like a true song. I guess if I had to pick like a fully fleshed out song, I'd say The Pressman, but only because it doesn't stand out to me the way that a lot of the other songs do. I absolutely love The Pressman. Yeah. That was also one of the ones that I had echeloned here trying to say that they're in my top four, trying yeah. to decide which one's the top one. I'll give it a further listens, I guess, but for me, it just kind of blended into the rest of the album. I get a lot of like HST vibes for it, but I, I don't really see HST being like a mama's boy, but you know, like. I don't know what you mean, HST. Hunter S. Oh, Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, he always like saw himself as the press and like invented his own kind of press, really, with gonzo mm -hmm. journalism. but I, I just get some vibes of it. Maybe he was like loosely inspired by that. You know, the story there too, this guy's really struggling with trying to do his job and his job is to inform people. I don't know, it just paints another picture. And I, I love that he can tell these stories in these songs. And right on. that's one of them that I like. People that are listening that don't know you personally should know that everyone that does know you personally will be completely unsurprised to hear you intersperse a Hunter S. Thompson reference into this uh, conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have any criticisms for the album? I mean, I think I already hit on them with yeah. like the uh, intros and the outros. And mm -hmm. like you said, Hail Santa's got that. It's just kind of meandering, but that's like the hidden track of the day, right? I mean, it wasn't hidden, but it was just tacked on at the end. <laughs> it does feel tacked on. But I mean, still, it's also kind of interesting. I could see like there were huge stoners back then. So just ripping a bong and like listening to it at the end with a speaking spell, just this is a pig, oink, oink. This is a pig, <laughs> oink, oink, you know? So they were targeting the stoner audience. So like, oh yeah, that's what, I remember that from when I was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> guys live i have i've seen them twice mm -hmm. i didn't catch them in their heyday at all or anything but i caught them on the anti-pop tour okay and i don't think that was the original lineup yeah i, I don't know i think it might have just been less was the only original player oh really i think at that time larry lalonde was playing with a perfect circle mm -hmm. yeah that was like in 2001 ish i think okay I can't recall. But anyways, it was still a fun show. It was, yeah. it was good. Uh, Anti-pop is kind of when, you know, old Primus stopped and new Primus began, I think. There's some tonal changes in the group. Yeah. And then I just saw them most recently last summer with Ween, them, 
and the South Park guys at Red Rocks doing that's funny doing a South Park show. It was like mainly all South Park songs and like uh, what's his name from Rush showed up. Getty Lee. Yeah, Getty Lee showed up and like they were all sitting there in lawn chairs, like the Ween guys, the Primus guys. They were sitting in lawn mm-hmm. chairs, and the South Park guys were running the show. And then like mm-hmm. players would like jump in, and they would like all. Jam- it was just this like that's fun. Yeah, it was this amazing, just fun time. I think people were expecting like a Ween show or a Primus show, like mm-hmm. with South Park being the supplemental, but it was like. South Park was the driving force and like the Ween and Primus guys got like two songs a piece and then like the <laughs> rest of it was just them supporting the South Park guys playing all the South Park show tunes. That's so funny. It was bizarre and fun. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty unique experience. I got yeah. to see Primus. I won't go too deeply into this because I already mentioned it on the show before, but one of my first shows was seeing them on this tour in 93 they opened up for rush and a friend of mine andrew johnson his dad i don't remember what he did for a living but he would sometimes get tickets for like free shows and like this time he had a bunch of tickets just for like a suite at the palace where they played we were a bunch of 13 year olds piled into a suite like you know stuffing our faces with free food and soda and uh enjoying the prog rock anthems of these two bands it was pretty great good memory that's fun yeah. Did you ever tune out on this album or this band? Or have you kind of always stuck with Primus? Because it seems like you're a pretty big fan. They're always in the rotation for sure. Um, you know, like Southbound Pachyderms is one of my probably top 10 songs of all times. I love okay. that off of Tales from the Punch Bowl. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely always in the rotation. I guess I have kind of slacked a little bit. Oh, wait, no, I lied. Another time I saw Primus, I saw him on their Willy oh. Wonka tour here. Hmm. Okay. In Arizona in 2015. That was weird. Who opened for them? What do you mean Willy Wonka tour? They did uh, the Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory album. And they went out on support of that. It was so weird. They had these like giant paper mache heads doing the Oompa Loompa song. Oh, they, they covered the whole album? I didn't know Yeah, that. yeah. Uh, they did all the songs from it. And oh, man, yeah. So it was great. They had like two stages set up. And on one stage... They came on and they played all of their like hits from all their mm. normal albums. Yeah. And then they took a break and went on to another stage. And then they did just the whole Willy Wonka lineup. They did mm. all those songs. That was so wild. much fun. Yeah, it was, it was a very wild show. I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah, so I've seen them thrice. Nice. Nice, thrice. All right. Anyways, so like, you know, I kind of tuned out with that, the Willy Wonka album. I'm like, I don't want to hear mm-hmm. Willy Wonka songs performed by Primus. <laughs> and then like after that, there was another album that came out. I think it's called The Desaturating Seven. Okay. My kid has this book. It's called The Rainbow Goblins. All right. It was uh, put out in 1978, the year I was born. But my kid has this book and apparently Les would read that book to his kids And eventually it like sparked something in his brain and he's like, I need to make an album about this. Mm -hmm. And I I listened to it last spring, maybe. I don't know. I listened to it recently and I was just like, eh, didn't really click with me. But then once I realized it was like the book, the Rainbow Goblins that I read to my kid every now and then, I've got it slated for another revisit. Look at it again instead of just like listening to it in the car going to work. You know, that's which is the first experience I had with it. But yeah. All the old stuff definitely stays in the rotation. The last two albums I dropped off a little bit with. It's not like instant fandom or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. 
for me, pork soda is when I tuned out. I definitely tuned out for quite a few years, but then I came back to them a few years ago, and I still love those first three albums, and I'll listen to those first three albums pretty regularly, but I just really just, I don't know, once I started getting to, like, Winona's Big Brown Beaver and shit, I, I just, I don't know, it just didn't grab me anymore. I just tuned out. But I sure do love those first three albums. That was weaker, and of course it was their single, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course, that's the way it goes. I think because of this album is why I'm so good friends with Jimmy Takis. Getting into that, like, fanboying over less, like, and saying, like, hey, do you think you could play bass like him? He's like, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. Definitely started cementing musical friendships in high school. The high school bands that I was in all had Jimmy in them. Right on. This album definitely was instrumental in forging that friendship. Um, What track do you want to use to go out on? Huh. You know, I should have considered that ahead of time. (laughs) Let's see here. Um, Let's go Mr. Crinkle. That sounds good. Which there's a fun bit of trivia about that. You have any idea what Mr. Crinkle is about? No idea. Tell me why. This is, what's his name? Mike Borden of Faith No More, the drummer. The drummer Puff, who knows about being good to get stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, Mike Borden and Les are really good friends. And Mr. Crinkle was... Mike Borden's hotel name, you know, like famous people don't check into hotels under their, uh, you know, given names. Is Mike Borden like a household name? Maybe. I mean, Faith (laughs) and War was pretty popular back then. Yeah, big, but I've been listening to him for 30 years and I didn't know the dude's name. Well, you know. Anyway, keep going. Crazy fans are crazy fans, you know. Sure. And they'll follow a bus to a hotel and try to track people down. Yeah. Yeah. So that was his hotel name. Yeah, that song is musings and just like conversations that he's had with Mike Borden. That's fun. They like fishing together too. So mm-hmm. it was a single, wasn't it, Mr. Crinkle? I feel like. Do you remember? Oh, it absolutely was. Yeah. And that music video is wild. It's a single take. Uh, Less is in the big piggy outfit playing the stand up <laughs> bass. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> And there's just like all this crazy circus stuff swirling around in the background. Yeah. It was all done in one take, apparently, too. They had to cut it several times because I guess the uh, guy who was walking by on fire had problems the first two times. Luckily, it's (laughs) early in the video, so they didn't have to like retake it too far. Was it just the two singles? They had another. um, I guess I could have looked this up myself before. There was another video. Um, Singles were. Oh, DMV was a single, too. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's right. And that music video for DMV was a lot of stage shots, you know, them playing in the stage Mm -hmm. interspersed with other things. But yeah, Mr. Crinkle, that video is just a lot of fun. There's some Pink Floyd references in there. He obviously reveres Pink Floyd. He's, oh, and the air is getting slippery. He says, if you studied your Floyd book properly, you'd know that pigs can fly. No. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense now. Yeah. I heard that line, but it didn't put two and two together yeah because the uh, song pigs on the wing i think right that's cool you said you had some other revelations that you learned or have you unpacked those already a lot of people were surprised that this album debuted in the top 10 of the billboard charts i think it peaked out at number seven wow so that's a pretty good feather in the cap of primus for the time for sure
My Name Is Mud was a really big hit, and it's funny to me now because it's like it's a really good song. But I'm having a hard time imagining a bunch of people and like being like, "Yes, this is this is the rock and roll single. This is the one we put out. This is the you know what I mean." It it, it has yeah. um, a weird feel to it. It does. It's kind of a little bit slow and dragging. A little bit, not in a bad way, but it's a good album song. It's not what you think would be a, a first like breakthrough single, right? And it is like slow and dragging until it gets to those heavy driving parts, you know, like, mm -hmm. and then it like slows back down. So I don't know, maybe it was like the mosh pit sensibilities of the time. You get to be like yep. active for a little bit and then like recover for a little bit in between it. Oh, I think you nailed it, dude. The loud, quiet, loud was very, very big at the time. I think yeah. that's exactly. The album went platinum as well, so that's huge for them. Not too shabby. Yeah. Uh, I watched a MTV Halloween live performance, and mm -hmm. you could tell Les was already bored with playing it. Like he, he's just sitting there, like. And then after that, he's like, "And now for the other song that wouldn't die." And they play Jerry's "The Race Car Driver" right after it. <laughs> yeah, bands do tend to grow to hate their hits. Yeah, and I have no idea how they got Christian Bale to uh, star in the uh, My Name is Mud video. What? That was him? No, but it looks like okay. it. It's just, oh, okay. it's, it's funny. <laughs> he would have been acting at the time. He would have been uh, a kid. Just with the angle they have, and that yeah. is less, and less without a mustache, which is weird. Oh. But he looks like Christian Bale in the video. That was like right between Empire of the Sun and Newsies, so he may have been free. <laughs> What else are you listening to? Your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Appreciate it. While driving, yeah, I've been listening to a lot of your podcasts. Let's see. Uh, my son is super into the They Might Be Giants kids album, so I've been listening mm -hmm. to a lot of that. Of course, a lot of this album recently. Always still Radiohead. Yeah, I just gave another good solid listen through to uh, Hail to the Thief because it was 20 years old a couple of days ago. Faith No More. Yeah. My son is a huge System of a Down fan, so unfortunately that's like <laughs> on the forefront of my playlist here. <laughs> Could be worse. Yeah, and now like an album that's over a year old, uh, Radiohead's other side project, The Smile. I'm absolutely loving that. I come to that a lot. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah. We talked Robotech earlier. We obviously both grew up watching a lot of anime TV shows, particularly that. Did you watch much anime movies? the 90s really all of my uh anime experiences from you know like your house late at night after everything was done and we're winding down watching things at your house that's yeah the main experience i'll throw a few 90s anime movies at you and you just tell me which one sticks out in your memory is the best sound all good right. yeah all right this is all right, so speaking of my other podcast, Cinema 9, I mentioned you on the show recently when I talked about you, me, and my brother going to see Princess Mononoke oh, yeah. in 1999. It's technically a 97 movie, but you and I saw it when it was released in America in 99. So that's an option. I'd say you can't talk 90s anime movies without mentioning Ghost in the Shell. That's a big one. What comes to my mind from 1993 as well as this album, Ninja Scroll. Remember Ninja Scroll? Yeah, yeah. That's a pretty good one. And last but not least, Appleseed. I think Appleseed. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think Appleseed was 1990. Uh, 
Oh shit! Appleseed was 1988, but oh, fuck man. it, we'll, inc- we'll include. <laughs> we watched it all through the 90s. So, Princess Mononoke, Appleseed, Ghost in the Shell. It's just got to be Ghost in the Shell. You gonna go with Ghost in the Shell? Yeah, I'm going with Ghost in the Shell. It's like the plot was amazing, the animation style was awesome, the sound it brought it all together. It was not quite as epic as Akira and groundbreaking as Akira, but it definitely picked up where Akira left off. Yeah, I don't know. I, I loved the scope and the the feel of it. It was just yeah. Ghost in the Shell, hands down. It's such a damn shame that the live action was just so atrocious. I didn't bother with the uh, live action one. Oh, I know it's one I was trying to think of. It's not really a movie. Um, it's, it was like two TV shows put together, but Battle Angel Alita was the, was the oh, other yeah. one. Oh, Battle Angel Remember Alita that? was pretty great as well. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. And that live action was respectable. I didn't bother with that one either, actually, but oh. maybe I should give it a shot if you say Definitely check good. that one out. It's not like jaw-droppingly awesome or anything, but they do a respectable job with the source material, and they provide an entertaining time with good visuals. So I'm going to stick with Princess Mononoke. It's one of my favorite movies, but yeah. I do think Appleseed is seriously underrated. Appleseed, yeah, good yeah, show. Yeah, it's fucking great. But yeah, I got to go Ghost in a Shell still. I mean, it was very good. Well, thank you, Dave, for coming on. I really hope you come back again. I'm going to try and ensnare you for a third visit if I can. Yeah, man, for sure. I got two of my favorite artists slash bands that there are songs that I really want to talk about. I know one you're going to probably appreciate and the other, I don't know if you're really going to want to dig into the album I want to talk about, but it was really groundbreaking for the time. So I, I look forward to the opportunity to do those two albums with you that for certain I want to. So we'll leave some intrigue there as to what the uh, bands and albums are. <laughs> leave us hanging. All right. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah. And that was me and Dave talking about Primus's pork soda. A lot's happened for me between starting editing this episode like a week or so ago and now I got really sick and I got a new job. So good things and bad things, I guess. I really loved my old job, but uh, it is going to be a step upward for me. So I'm pretty excited about that. In talking with Dave, I mentioned a couple times that Les Claypool is like the standout bass player of the era. And I bet there's one other dude that a lot of you probably thought of and went, eh, is he? Is this other guy? Of course I'm talking about Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Now, the Red Hot Chili Peppers did not actually release a studio album in 93 or 94. You're listening now to the song Soul to Squeeze from the Coneheads album. What a fucking classic song this is. But am I going to be so strident and unyielding in my rules of this podcast that I will only allow someone to come onto the show and talk about, say, the Coneheads soundtrack itself or the Soul to Squeeze single that came out in 93? or the Live Rare Remix box set that came out in 94, or the Plasma Shaft, 
another box set that came out in 94, or Out in LA, a compilation album of theirs that came out in 1994, or the best of the Red Hot Chili Peppers compilation that came out in 94. You could come on and talk about any of those albums if you want to, but let's be honest, I mean, the Red Hot Chili Peppers were a huge part of the era. If you want to come on and talk about Blood Sugar Sex Magic from 91, that's great. Come on. If you want to talk about what hits the compilation album from 92, that'd be fine. If you want to come on and talk about One Hot Minute from 95, that's cool. Let me know. I mean, they were a big band from the era. I can't, like, not include them in this or just wait for someone to want to talk about some specific box set or single or something. So let me know if you want to talk about the Chili Peppers. That'd be cool. Let me know if you want to come on the show and talk. That'd be great. Or maybe you just want to send me a shout out and say hi. That would also be appreciated. You could email me at 9394podcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook and threads. Do please rate and review the show. It's been a while since I've gotten any new ratings or reviews. Just click the little button that says five stars on Spotify or Apple. That's all I'm asking if you can. Thank you. Um, So, yeah, thank you to Dave for coming on the show. Thank you for listening, and uh, don't you go changing. Ninety-four, a music podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.